This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice. Hi, I'm uh, Kambi Samati, and I'm a VP of uh, Global Retail Design at Foot Locker. And what I really like about retail and what attracted me to retail from the, the get-go was the fact that it's it's actually working on a living space. It's, uh, it's kind of creating a theater, so to speak. Having studied architecture and graphic design and, and also I went to film school, for me, it was never really about creating big architecture. It was creating spaces and seeing how people interact with those spaces. So there's something that I like about retail, which is all about change. It's all about movement and it's never really permanent so it's kind of temporary brand spaces and and that's what attracted me to retail in the first place i think if you talked with someone in charge of a major aspect of retail at footlocker you'd think the conversation would have something to do with sneakers and although the topic of sneakerheads was unavoidably mentioned the real focus is the critical impact store design has on customer experience and how even basics such as lighting and sound can have a major effect on retail success. Coming up, you'll hear from the VP of Global Retail Design for this leading athletic footwear and apparel retailer, which caters to the sneaker enthusiast. He shares the importance of learning from retail concepts outside of your sector and the ones who have the best in-class experience with customers and how they can inspire next-level design. He also shares why Starbucks may have played a meaningful role on the Foot Locker store design and why success with technology might rely more on what's coming into a store than what's already in it. You're listening to Grocery is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the food and grocery industries. Recorded on location. Kambiz, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Good really excited here. about this. So when I think about retail design, I, I feel like there was a halcyon moment with, and, and this is me being naive about how you approach um, design and how anyone approaches design in a retail space. But for me, as a, as a consumer, I look at pre-Apple Store and post-Apple Store. I feel like design changed when the Apple Store came about. Is that my naivete about how this is this design approach in retail has changed or is it is that really a moment where things changed in retail the way i look at it is um that you are right the apple store was a big change in retail but i think it was more a change from a perspective of um clients so to speak or companies or or even the consumer um, I think that uh, um, when you look at the design of the Apple Store, some of the principles that were used were actually principles that were true also before the Apple Store. And, and so I think if you were a retail designer, an architect, if you were laying out a space or creating concepts, you would have used those co concepts as well, those ideas as well. There is actually a video on YouTube of uh, Steve Jobs uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's uh, he's actually showing the first Apple store. And it's the most amazing video. I've watched it maybe 10 times and I've given it to all the designers on my team because he um, on the video, you see him 
welcoming people. And this is before the first store opened, I think it was in Palo Alto. And he's actually walking through the store and explaining the store. Um, and it's fascinating because um, it's amazing how on point he was. And I remember when that store opened, so many uh, pundits said that it's not going to work. It's never going to make money. It's a big failure. It's not going to happen. Uh, and obviously, we know the results now. So so I don't know if that answers the question. But I think that um, the, and the reason why I say clients like that and companies like that is I hear all the time people coming in and saying, we want to be the Apple store of whatever. We want to be the Apple store of this. We want to have the genius bar of that, you know. And it always makes me laugh because... Some of it you can use, but a lot of times you can't use the same principles because um, Apple has very few products and Apple controls the products and designs their products versus, let's say, if you're a, a multi-brand, if you're a company that sells many different types and different sizes of things, it's hard to make that happen, right? So there, there are, you know, I think it works in certain instances and in certain it, it just doesn't really work. Yeah, I think about it with respect to Foot Locker and the challenges of that multi-brand sort of, you know, shopping experience. Um, and, you know, the fact that it's not just a question of, hey, there's an iPhone X and there's an iPhone XR. There's the Nike sneaker you want in size Y. Mm -hmm. And how you then go about designing the concept and the layout of the store when you know there's stock behind you that is quite potentially voluminous. Uh, and so is that something that you, like specifically with, with Foot Locker, is that something that you have to think about? Like how do you deal with the stock and how do you deal with the, the front? Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think that challenge that you mentioned, the idea of the, the stock is not just really for Foot Locker, but it's common in, in all footwear companies, right? Because you have a lot of SKUs and a lot of types of footwear, but then behind that, you need to have all the sizes. So by definition, I think um, when you think of footwear stores, it's a bit of a challenge. You, you need to have large back of houses. And what we think about, and it's, it's the same at Foot Locker, but, but the way we look at it is that maybe it's just a matter of, of um, shipping and supplying the store. Maybe, it's, maybe there are better ways, right, to more often ship sort of the product and and in that way maybe reduce the size of the back of houses so we can have more front of house so to speak in a store and be able to have more sort of you know fun spaces more activation spaces more places for people to hang out what we're trying to do at footlocker which is a lot of retailers are trying to do but we are actually doing that specifically is really to think of our stores not as just transactional anymore but really make it as a place where you can come and sort of you know, hang out, you can, you know, meet your friends, you can come for an event, you can learn something. In essence, we're trying to figure out what are the things you can't really do online? What are the expertise of the Foot Locker associates, which in very often are, are, are sneaker heads themselves, uh, are actually, there are our customers, right? Um, so we're very lucky in that respect as well. We're not, some of the retailers have you know, that person who's just standing there and you know they're bored to death and they're just like, you know, <laughs> waiting for the clock to tick. In our case, we actually have people that are very passionate about the product. That it's not a, just a job for them. So I think it makes it easier in a way also to make the stores more, you know, more uh, experiential, more, you know, and and also the way people, are, our customers use the space is very different, I think. So I think one of the first things I do typically is, is look, spend a lot of time in the store and our consumers for Foot Locker, for instance, are 
mostly 12 to 25. So if you think of those people, if you think how they shop, if you think of how they use technology, how they use their phones, you know, how they research a product and then come to a physical space, I think that helps you sort of create the, the next designs, basically. Um, yeah, and it's funny, we were talking before you came, and it was interesting, because I was like, I remember when Foot Locker, before the kind of sneakerhead craze came in, it really came in, um, you know, it was a mall store, but now I've been in some that are, you know, phenomenal, the basketball court, the glossy, you know, everything, really big conversation on design is, People, speaking of the sneakerheads, it probably only took us about seven minutes in this conversation before sneakerhead came out. I was um, waiting for it. I thought I, it was going to come sooner. I did too. I thought I, I thought was I was going to say it, actually. I thought I was going to say sneakerhead. It was going to be the first head. sentence. Um, <laughs> is how to create design that appeals to the sneakerhead because I feel like there, I, I know some sneakerheads. I have some sneakerhead stores very close by to me. Um you know, how does design matter to them when they, it feels they're so focused in on the sneaker? Yeah, so, and, and I think that's, uh, it's an interesting question because if you go to some of the places where actually, um, if we call them sneakerheads, right? Uh, <laughs> let's call them that way. Where they shop, actually, there is very little design in those stores. It's really mostly about product. And I think that it's when the product drops is is a, when what type of product it's it's kind of that um, sort of type of customer, and then we have our Foot Locker customers who are really more like regular customers, you know, less like right, less that type of customers, you know. So I think it's a combination. I think it's it's having serving our regular customers, but also having sharp points where we also address the concerns or some of the ideas and thoughts and, and experiences for those particular sneakerheads, right? We have a broader base of customers. When you look at, for example, our new stores, our new stores have Foot Locker, they have Women Foot Locker, you know, which is, I mean, men, women together. And also we're combining that with kids. So we're putting all of that in an umbrella of Foot Locker. When you look at that, then you there are many different types of customers for each one of those, right? And our, our kids' footlocker is a very strong business as well, which is very different from from that type of sneaker. Agreed. I would say have, there's right? a big spectrum right. there. That is not the same person who right. is hot and heavy over whatever the next yeah. drop is. Yeah. So we, you know, and we also, um, um, like, for example, in the new store within 181st Street here in New York, uh, which is our latest store that we open, and we call it a, a power store, a community store. Um, it's a rather large store. It's about 15,000 square feet. Where we have programs and activation areas, we do all kinds of programs. Some programs are geared toward kids, where we basically, for instance, we bring a, a Nike designer and then we bring the kids and, you know, hey, you guys like sneakers, you you love shopping and you love showing off your sneaker, but do you know how the sneakers were designed? Do you know what the process is? Do you want to learn? And then we have we had actually events where kids come and then they draw sneakers and we teach them how the, the, the process is done. So that's like one type of event. But then we have other events also that are geared, for instance, towards um, women and, and specifically young women where like where we say for you know if you if you're a young woman and you want to open your own business what do you need and and we bring in other women leaders to teach them how to hey how to open a bank account how to open how to set up an LLC how do you how do you start up a business and all of that i think it's in a way for us to give back to the communities where we you know where we do business as well so i think it's good business and it's it's creating a sense of community for our stores as well 
there was one common keyword throughout every podcast we've done, I think experiential and community. Well, those two words yes. have come into almost every uh, uh, a conversation around retail and sort of the future of retail. Just going back to the sneakerheads because we, we have to still ground there. <laughs> uh, in terms of the sort of culty sneakerhead slash drop stores, do you, when you're designing for Foot Locker, or it doesn't even have to be for Foot Locker, any yeah. of the other store designs you've done, do you look at, when, when you're designing the store, do you look at those stores and how they approach retail with any sort of, like, oh, maybe they're on to something and does that fit into the design? Or is it more, yeah, there's no real design here and mm -hmm. so maybe I just kind of ignore it and we mm -hmm. do our own thing. I just wonder how mm -hmm. like a Supreme or a Kith mm -hmm. plays into, you know, specifically for like a Foot Locker into, into your design, if it does. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think personally for me and, and uh, in any company that I worked in, you know, could you know, at Nike or Starbucks or Foot Locker, I feel that you need to know what other people in your industry are doing so you need to be aware. So yes, in case of Foot Locker, I definitely have been to Kith many times. I've been to many of the kids. <laughs> I've been to many sneaker places in Europe, um, in California. I mean, so that's obviously I need to know and I want to know what other people in the industry are doing. But I think what happens often is that designers only look at the, um, the immediate competition and I think that creates a sense of, um, you know, stores looking the same and, yeah. and people copying each other. And then at the end, you're not really getting something original. So for me, and, and the way I work with, again, my design teams is always to say, we're not limited by, let's say, for example, if you're at Nike, it's great to know what Adidas is doing. But really, that's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is, what are the brands that have established a, an amazing relationship with their consumers, right? So, and I think when you do that, you broaden up your scope. And then there are always good ideas from other industries that you can bring in, right? So for instance, you know, like I, I don't look at just, you know, let's say some of the, you know, other brands of sneakers or, or other sneaker uh, resellers. I look at... Soul Cycle. I look at Warby Parker. I look at you know Equinox. I look at Shinola. I look at other companies that have established this amazing relationship with their consumers. You know where it's not again. It's not just a transactional. There is an emotional connection, and I take I take an extract from that. And 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 many times to be perfectly open. Um, I use a lot of the things I I learned and I experienced when I was at Starbucks. Because, I mean, you know, Starbucks is, there are many lessons from Starbucks, and I spent about three years there. And uh, it was a unique experience for me because it was the only time I actually worked with a food industry sort of company. And there are many rules that I take from that and that third place and all of, you know, all of those ideas and apply to other retail stores. I think if I told my daughter that I spoke to someone who helped design Starbucks stores, she would be in awe of this conversation. She is, it, it really does. Starbucks has done a fantastic job through store design, through their technology, connecting with the customer. And I do look at the new, the, the Gen Zs and how they approach brands. And I do look at Starbucks as being probably on the top 
of the sort of brand triangle for them. They're, that is the brand that they most associate with because of the experience in the store and how they can consume and how they can spend time with their friends. So it's just amazing to me that that, that seems to be the toolbox with, by which you would go into on a regular basis and pull from. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Today they just announced that they have the store where you can just pr pick up your coffee. I'm sure they're selling other things there, but I'm curious about it. You know, you bring up Starbucks. It brings up a very interesting thing that um, relates to design and to the store experience, which is, you know, nobody wants to wait in line and it's kind of a hellacious thing and you know starbucks kind of figured out i don't want to say the perfect combination i've certainly been in line there i was going to make a joke i've never been into supreme or kith because i'm not willing to wait in line but <laughs> i actually went to brooklyn and made it into kith so what were some of the things you took from starbucks because i've been in some really crowded foot lockers and mm -hmm. you're right to your audience we were also talking about you know sneakerheads probably or all the male and around their 20s. But I think one, sneakers are trending so much that also there's a woman shopper and there's probably a male or a female shopper who's buying shoes for a young person. Yep. So. Yeah. So I think, I mean, again, and I will refer to our store, new store, because it's really has the, I've been at Foot Locker for about a year and a half now. And uh, the store we opened a couple of months ago in New York. By in the way, congrats. I read some press about it. I have not been up, but it's not out of my realm to pop up. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And, and so if we, um, I can point to a few things that are directly from Starbucks, my days at Starbucks on in the store. And, and really, they have to do with some of the sort of customer experiences, not necessarily product presentation, because Starbucks is is not really about that. But so, for instance, in the store, the new store that we've done, we have a, as you enter the store, we have a staircase that is a grand staircase that takes you upstairs to the second level. And everybody in retail knows that it's always hard to bring people either up or down <laughs> because <laughs> people... You know, even in a sports store, don't like to go up, which is kind of funny. But anyway, so that's, you know, but in the grand staircase that we create and we create a sort of excitement to get people upstairs and we have a projector and projecting images and social media content and it's an open and there's merchandise and, and mannequins. But what we've also created um, is we've created stadium seating. And in that stadium sort of series of stadium seating we have and they're facing the entrance. And we have also placed uh, play areas for people to plug in their devices and charge their devices. And the way I look at it is that if you're in Washington Heights in the neighborhood and, you know, you want to meet a friend, where do you really go? There's, it's hard to sit somewhere. You don't really have a place. But you can say, hey, meet me at the Foot Locker store because you can go there. And if your friend is not there or if you're a little bit ahead of time, you sit on the stadium seating. And what happens is that you're facing the entrance. So, and you plug in your device and you can charge it. You can check your email, but because you're looking at the door, not, not only you're waiting for your friend, but you're also doing people watching, which is a big part of the social sort of experience, right? And, and, and that particular um, uh, idea and the way the store was planned, you know, in that way, was directly from my experiences with Starbucks because, and also coffee shop, because, you know, you, in Starbucks, we always started to put back then, this is, I mean, I was there in 2009, 10, 11, and this was the time that 
for the first time, Starbucks had closed stores and we were completely redoing everything. We were, instead of having all the stores the same, we were localizing the stores, we were creating different concepts. And one of the things we, we did is we, there were two things we did. One was we started these communal tables where people could hang out and talk to each other and, and there could be community meetings, there could be people coming and, you know, ladies coming and knitting. We had like people coming and, and, and you know, working together, kids doing their homework, whatever. So there was that, that aspect. And we also created these counters in the window, which is similar to what happens really a lot in Europe where you can sit at the counter and you look out on the street. So you're, you do people watching, but also you're waiting for your friend and you can lean, you can put your drink, you can check your email, you can check your thing, you're waiting. So that's one thing that we have in the new Foot Locker store, which um, people use all the time. So every time I go, and people love steps. It's just like, it's the, st like it's yeah. the steps in the front of the Metropolitan yeah. Museum, right? Or like the Spanish steps in Rome. Yeah. I mean, this has been done architecturally throughout history. But, you know, you introduce it in a store and people use it automatically. Uh, we also have a um, on the second level, we have an activation area where we have all this like different type of seatings. We have stools, we have high counter, low counter, couches, um, you know, more comfy, less comfy, coffee tables. We have uh, so it's kind of no matter what you're in the mood for, you kind of find a place to sit, which really, again, takes us back to the, the, the coffee shop. The coffee shop, when you go in a coffee shop, depending on what you want to do and depending on the amount of time you're going to spend, you are looking for that particular seat that you want to take, right? If you're, if you're going to be there five minutes, you take a stool. If you're waiting for a friend, you pick something else. If you're going to be there for an hour, you're looking for that comfy chair, right? So there's a lot of that that we also do at, uh, over there as well. So we've, we've mentioned coffee a few times now, coffee shops. We have a little tradition here. It involves snacks. So when I'm at Starbucks or any coffee shop, I'm going to have a snack. So I'm really curious uh, and very excited. I'm always very excited about the snack time. Did you bring a snack? And if so, what is the snack that you brought? Yes, yeah, so I brought the snack. And uh, um, I thought about it for a while, but then at the end, it was relatively easy. I brought you guys Swiss chocolate. Ah. And the reason why I brought Swiss chocolate um, is that uh, I grew up in Switzerland. So we, <laughs> we had chocolate almost on a daily basis. I, I grew up mainly in boarding school. And uh, and Swiss chocolate was a part of our sort of diet, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought you guys um, these champagne truffles because honestly, they're the best. So I, um, that's really amazing. I'm very excited. It's perfectly with coffee too. Um, do you carry on the tradition of having chocolate regularly? I actually end up really eating a lot of chocolate. I think. <laughs> maybe too much, and maybe too much for yeah. Yeah. more than I should. It's a lovely tradition, by the way. It's yeah. funny. I left dessert for a while, and now I'm like, what is wrong with having a little sweet Dark chocolate that? is good for you. Dark, exactly. That's exactly what dark I, I have. I have dark chocolate, and uh, and I think it's also like part of that. We used to always have a little bit of sweet after dinner, you know, in a in a, in a European tradition in a mm -hmm. way. So, so I'm kind of used to that. It's always nice to have a little thing. Yes. Know, so... Up next, you'll hear how technology plays into design at Foot Locker. 
don't miss the NGA Show, the annual gathering of independent supermarket retailers. Join 3,500 supermarket and food retailers this weekend, February 23rd through 26th, at the San Diego Convention Center. You'll leave with actionable ideas to drive immediate growth in your business. Don't miss it. Find out all the details at www.thengashow.com. So, Kambis, we've talked about the customers of Foot Locker and more Foot Locker, just the sort of changing demography of customers mm-hmm. and their reliance and dependence and preference for technology. How does that play into design, if at all? I mean, do you think about how to incorporate technology, the use of technology by the customer in the store, or is it just you know, an independent thought, somebody else handles that. I'm just curious if that's changed. No, so I mean, when you're at the, at, at larger companies, like um, some of the companies I've worked with, there are teams that, you know, take care of the digital sort of experience. Um, but my general approach uh, with technology and um, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm guilty of doing it myself, but I think the way a lot of people have approached it hasn't really been successful. And this is my personal belief. I think that if you, uh, if you're um, at home and you take a shower and get dressed and get in your car and drive and park your car and get out and get to a store and somebody puts a giant iPad in front of you, I'm not sure if that's the best use of either money or technology or, or really experience. If I wanted to just play with your giant iPad, I could have done it at home. Yeah. Uh, show me, give me something that I can't do at home. Give me something I can do on my couch in my PJs. Give me something that is like different. I wasn't really sure what is the best way to do that. And I remember in my uh, time at Nike, we did a lot of digital integration. We did a lot of touch screens. We did a lot of screens. Um, and, and this was back in 2011, 2012, 2013. And there was a lot of ideas that we put and and um, we really had no idea what we were doing and and we always argued about it and we we none of them really worked but i think what was the only good thing i think was that anytime i went somewhere anytime i talked to anybody people would say oh you guys are nike are so amazing you guys do so amazing technology you guys are doing this really cool stuff and really the good thing was we were doing something some of it was successful some of it was really not and I think uh, when we think in, in retail terms, I think retailers have to take risk. Retailers have to try. And I think the price of not trying is, is really much higher than trying things and fail. And, and that's, so, so, so that's really one part of, I think, the history of digital integration in the stores. I think that um, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of effort, and it's almost like by the time you put those, that technology in the store, it's already obsolete. There's always something new, something better, something lighter, yeah. something cheaper, something whatever. So th- the way I think the best way to approach this, and I think that's what we want to focus on at Foot Locker, is that every customer has an iPhone or, or some smartphone, right? And they already have purchased it, <laughs> they paid for it, and they have it in their pocket and they use it. And I think so to me, anything that is digital and, and, and technology should be around mobile technology rather than actually in store 
Um, and I think when you look at the in-store technology, I think there's a lot of great things that can happen in the back of house, helping your associates find the products better, helping them find the right sizes, helping them, you know, share information with the customers, helping them be faster, you know, more uh, educated, right? So I think if you if you think of technology and you think there is a f- customer facing and a non and a sort of an associate um, experience. I would personally spend more money on the associate side and the back of house and then the front of house I would I would concentrate on mobile digital connections and you know they already have the device. Yeah, it's interesting. I think if you think about flying now, the, you go on a plane, you go on a, a a Delta plane, they don't put screens in the back of the seats anymore because you already have a screen, you've brought a screen to the table. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think the approach of using the mobile device and the touch points from the mobile device, you know, from the customer's home into the store, connecting it through the full customer experience. Like that's the way you use technology. It's not a parlor trick of having a screen that you can just put another piece of content on. Well, that's helpful and could potentially create a better customer experience. I do feel like sometimes retailers use it as I have to have technology in the store and I'm going to do that with a screen. Yeah, it's like a shiny object that they put in the store, and it honestly doesn't do anything. And I think often um, what happened is that the, um, because there was that sort of a panic in retailers to sort of catch up with technology or compete with Amazon or Innovate, do something, yeah. anything. Or what they thought was innovating, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So then they took whatever limited budget they had and put that into that sort of technology that sort of shiny object, right? At the detriment of the actual space. I've been to some, you know, stores where, you know, the the store is falling apart, the fixtures are old, the lighting is terrible, and then you have this like sort of computer there that doesn't do anything that nobody is interacting with. Um, that when there is like a failing system, it, it has a sort of that window, Microsoft window logo that sort of bumps just, up. There's nothing worse than going into facing a giant screen that has a little Microsoft thing floating. And then you're like, what is this? And, and you know, and there are so many other things you could do, but they just didn't have enough budget to do both, right? So then they put all the money in that thing, right? In the technology. I really think at this stage, Nobody wants to enter the information into some other strange device in a store in front of other people. I think that if we concentrate on the physical store and go back to the to the to the rules of retail, to the basics of retail, good lighting, good seating, good environment, pleasant, you know, great product presentation, great graphics, that kind of thing, I think we're better off. And I think when I look at Foot Locker specifically, so many of the our customers come in and actually FaceTime while they're in the store with their friends. So they're like, hey, look at that. And and they walk by the wall and they show the, the footwear to their friends. You look at the red one. Look at oh, you like that one? Well, what what's the underside of it? What's the inside? How does it look? How does it feel? You know, and and um, so they were really using the technology. Yeah, and using it as a potentially marketing device for Foot Locker as well. So. Absolutely. I think I know the answer to this, but it's definitely a design question. I think it was kind of a trend in retail, going a little bit back to Apple, but cash wrap or no cash wrap. <laughs> and with shoes, I think it's probably more important than not to be juggling, but. You know, I, some people are like, no more cash wraps, you know. It's just... <laughs> I think I, I really don't like cash wraps. <laughs> and, okay. uh, 
And I have a few reasons. One is that many, many times you, you go into a store and the cash wrap is just sitting on access with the entrance. Like you see it, it's like a focal point of the store. And to me, when you go shopping, the moment you pay is probably the most painful exactly. kind of moment. Not right. the most Separating pleasant. you from your money. The experience yes. is great right. up until that. So, like, exactly. <laughs> so the way I look at it, I'm thinking, you know, so what we started to do at Foot Locker, you know, and since I've been there, it's just like, you know, let's just put the cash wrap at, on the side as you enter. So instead of making it the focal point of the experience, let's have it, you know, by the entrance on, let's say the right side or left side, doesn't matter, you know, depending on the space. So when you look, when you come into the space, you see actually amazing product presentations, mannequins, new products, pedestals, whatever, instead of seeing the giant thing sitting there. And uh, what has happened actually is that operationally also the people in the store love it because they can do work in the in the cash wrap and they can sort of greet people at the same time. They can, you know, uh, do a lot of the customer service there. Um, it's easier when we have people come and uh, pick up because we have uh, order online, pick up in store, which is typically by the cash wrap. So there's a lot of that that has actually helped. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we have some of our stores, but there is a lot of other stores that, that I see all the time where there's a really enormous cash wrap in the middle of the space that takes uh, the most prime location. And if you add the queuing to it, it's the whole thing is just cash wrap. Right. So it's just, we're, you know, why? Why? And um, sometimes, though, you need cash wraps for whatever reason. Sometimes it's about maybe the you have, you know, cash customers, you mm -hmm. have um, customers that need certain paperwork. Uh, when I did the new concept for Verizon, uh, we needed, we didn't want to have cash wraps, but we needed, there was a, some credit checks were done through fax machine or there was uh -huh. some emailing. There were some sort of uh, safety things that had to happen. And, and so what we did is we created a, a cash wrap that was between the front of house and the back of house. So we, in essence, we created a transition area where we kind of hit the cash wrap. So the people working in the store could access it. So it wasn't like there was no cash wrap, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it wasn't so obvious in the middle of the store. So um, everybody had mobile units that they would use for most of the transactions. Mm -hmm. But for some particular transactions that may have needed that sort of cash wrap component or, you know, then they had that access as well. Um, but it was hidden in the in the in that sort of space between back and front of house. It's yeah. very interesting. When you're a retail nerd, you really do notice it. Now it's really going to stand out to me because you're right. You walk into some beautiful stores and you're like, ah, oh, I've yeah. arrived. Um, and if the cash wrap bonked me right over the head, it would take away a little bit. From, yeah. You know. And the cash wraps are never that attractive anyway. No, just, right. It's like, it's like, like a, a giant square flank thing, of, yeah, you know. whatever, slab of lucite or wood. or. Yeah. Do you feel that the, the changes in technology in retail – uh, and actually, I would say the changes in habits in retail. We talked about, you know, fulfillment, uh, potentially using the back of the store in different ways. Does that actually play in now to the way you think about the store? Is it still sort of ancillary to what the front of the store is? Or is the design of the store changing around some of these trends? I don't, and I don't know if they're trends or things that are going to survive you know, or and 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 possibly even completely change retail in the next yeah. ten to fifteen years. But 
I think it, it um it, it's it depends on the size of your space. I think uh, um some it's kind of a little bit of um wishful thinking in some ways I think for some retailers to think you can use the back of house and you can do fulfillment. At the end of the day, and this is my personal feeling, the people at the store are not necessarily the best people at fulfilling orders. Let's just put it this way, right? They're not the professionals of doing that, right? So I always feel that if you want to be more efficient, I think you should have actual fulfillment places where people are pros and that's what they do in and out. And and also by definition, fulfillment centers are in places where you don't pay high rent. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would be concerned that you know you have stores where you pay uh, premium rent, right? And then w- how do you allocate glorified fulfillment centers? Yeah, and how? Yeah, how do you do that? And uh, if anything, we're trying to actually we at Foot Locker particularly are trying to make the back of houses smaller, so we can offer more experiences to our consumers in the front and really maximize the um, the rent that we pay and the, the square footage. Yeah, I feel like buy online, pick up in store is. I, like, I don't know if that's a trend. I don't know if that actually changes the sort of function of the retail space dramatically if it's just i mean to the point earlier of i, I could have an experience at home buying online yeah. and then getting in my car granted it's the it's the 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 immediacy of it potentially it's not that immediate but uh it's the immediacy of going up and picking up the product i don't know if that experience holds and then so i don't know if buy online pick up in store is a trend or something that's going to carry through i don't know if it's specific to certain verticals or verticals of retail I think that if you if you look at, for example, Walmart and some of those companies and the food um, in the, like the food uh, markets, um, they are experimenting a lot with order online and pick up with your car, you know. And they have and some of those are actually pretty successful because and but that is not we're not talking about New York City yeah. or we're talking about you know areas where people are driving right and i've seen some of the work that walmart has done and um it's actually very well done because there are specific lanes you can go right curbside yeah curbside and they they show up and i think a lot of those companies what they do also is they um they are starting to partner with companies like uh, google and waze for example so in a way, if you do an order, I mean, and I don't know where they if if they're there now or not, but I I spoke with a lot of my friends who are more sort of uh, experts at this kind of things. By combining the two, ideally, you get to a point where, because of ways, you would know where your customer is in relationship, and then that would give you an alert that hey, looks like she or he is going to be here in five minutes, right? And then you could have that you know, the packs ready for them to pick up. So there's like a lot of work that is being done right now between, I think, Google and some of these large retailers to get to a point where um, the two technologies are combined, right? Um, I feel like there's a confluence of different technological trends that are happening and retail potentially could really benefit from some of these. Oh, absolutely. And with shoes, though, I feel like, I want to try them on, and I'm not a returner, so for, it's almost worth it for me to go to the store. But... By the way, I have like six pairs of shoes. My <laughs> wife hates me for this. I have six pairs of shoes I've never put on, <laughs> and I keep saying I'm rotating my stock. Did you, did you, order, become... did you order online or? Did you... uh, totally, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, I, I'm gonna say I'm a wannabe sneakerhead at at the ripe old age of forty something, 
because um, that's the time you become a sneakerhead. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely not fitting in the Foot Locker demography. But yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where I, I do want to experience it, but I also will just go online and, and sort of power shop on, on, on shoes. And that's interesting. And then the other side of it, I think, and it's probably like M. Jemmy and some of these other, it's not sneakers. You go in and you try it on, then you know that it fits and then it, it gets sent to you. Sneakers, I, mean, I think, thing. is a yeah, different The beginning about category. shoes is if you're, you know, size 10, you're a size 10. I mean, there's some, some variability, but for the most part, um, yeah. Yeah, no, we're experimenting. I mean, we are experimenting with the lockers, so to speak, where people can come and uh, they can order online, pick up in store. If you're, let's say, a, a runner, right? And you wear a particular type of footwear. And obviously, you know your size to your point, right? Then it's easy. Because right. you're like, you know, I'm wearing that particular one and it's size 10, whatever, 10 and a half, you order it, you know how it's going to fit already. I think if you're looking at a new footwear, then it's kind of more complicated because you need to try it, see right. how it fits, so on and so forth, right? Um, but we're trying that. We're still in a sort of process of, of getting, you know, looking at the data and see how that works because we want to be able to offer that, you know, to our customers. We will also, we're, we have a store coming up in LA probably in 2020 where we're going to have a, actually a sort of a pickup window as well. And, uh, and the reason why we're doing it really is was it was a bank. So we, <laughs> there, was a, the there was in. a pickup window and they were like going to cover it. And then we thought, why, why cover it? There is a pickup window. We need to, obviously we need to change the, the, the window itself because it's not big enough for a box, but why Put not? the Yeezys in a vault. Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Why it's not? It's fun that you're repurposing the building though with something that it used to be. I think that's, you know. Yeah. And that's, that's another way we're looking at the buildings, which I always like to do in, in, in all my projects is to, also look at the part of I think localizing is also to look at the architecture mm, and you know uh, Warby's very big on that and our design team is always right. um, whether they're touching the outside or the inside they're interested in the first round of what we looked at yeah exactly and I, I like that about Warby Parker of, of uh, the art that is used is always site specific and, right. and is always building specific, which is great. But yeah, so what we want to do is we want to look at the building. So because also we're incorporating, uh, we're hiring local artists to do work and murals for our buildings. And, and from the get go, we incorporate that with the architecture. So part of it is um, knowing the history of the building looking at the knowing the the neighborhood and understanding the street itself and and really seeing what we want to do but generally speaking we we are more respectful of the each type of architecture rather than just having let's say one type of storefront and we're just going to put that everywhere and make it the same right and i hope that's a trend i feel like it is a little bit that people are really trying to Pick up the the local. Um, I have a. It's just a total curiosity factor, and I, it's across retail, but on people staying too long, or you know that the plugs are there. So Essex Street Market just opened in my neighborhood, and my neighbor happens to be a freelancer, and she's like, "My new office is Essex Street Market," <laughs> which is kind of funny. There's plenty of space in there. I'm sure she does buy a coffee from them or what have you. But in putting in the stadium seating and have people, it, and by the way, driving traffic to your store and getting dwell time is so and hard that it seems like you're not going to be throwing people out who are dwelling for so long. So it's, it's worth it, even though you know you have people who are coming in and just kicking back. Yeah. I think in a, I think when you, let's say if you own a coffee shop or, you know, and, and I actually own a coffee shop in LA, but um, 
Uh-huh. You think about those things, right? Yes. Because you're thinking, you know, oh, that person, that student is coming and spending the whole afternoon and drinking yes. one coffee for two dollars. <laughs> yes. Um, and and I think the way to um, to sort of uh, work around that is the type of furniture that you put in the you know right. Don't make the bed, the guest uh, bed too comfortable. That's right. Okay. You know, this is like uh, um, you know uh, historically churches are you know church, the benches in churches are designed specifically to be uncomfortable so that you can't fall asleep. You right. Know? And and it's this back is very straight and everything. So so there's a whole history of design on how, <laughs> gonna, you know. I'm thinking about some church uh, pews I've been on so and it, it was almost like it was curved the opposite way. I mean you were really sitting up oh, yeah, straight they, the entire time. They always did a they always did a good job at, at making sure people don't fall asleep um, <laughs> and are not comfortable. Um, and it is the same with, for example, you know, the McDonald's, the old McDonald's, the, the chairs were attached to the ground. So you couldn't. So the point was that at some point you would get so annoyed and just you walk away. Right. It's right. a fast food and you're not supposed to linger. And then they realize actually lingering is good. So now they change it and now they have real chairs. Right. Because um, they want people to stay longer. But I think so. Anyway, I think coffee shops and, and those kind of businesses is a little difficult. But but I think in our case um, for our stores, Hey, I think the more you hang out, the better. We we did a store in um, again our new format, which is a power store, and we're working on many formats. But this bigger format, we did three of them in the United States this year. Uh, we started with one in Detroit in January. We opened one uh, a couple of months later in Philadelphia, like a, a suburb of a little outside of Philadelphia, and the third one in New York that I mentioned before. Each one is different because the communities are different. But it's interesting, like the one in Philly. We actually, and this is something we never thought of, but in the afternoons, the place is packed with kids doing their homework. And it's very interesting because it's, it's um, I guess, kids, you know, and in a, in a way it's interesting, in a way it's a little sad, but, you know, to them, it's a safe space. So they yeah. come there, it's a, it's a space they like because there's, like, you know, music playing, it's safe, there are sneakers, you know, whatever. But it's also, um, it's almost become like that third place because they're now from between school and home, they come there and, uh, and, and, and people at the store told us, and it was very surprising for us, but at the same time, we welcome it. Hey, you want to hang out and do your homework? That's right. great. And, and somebody great. who actually has some, a, a wallet with money in it may come to pick them up and they might lobby them for yeah. something. So I know I, I, I get it, but I've worked on the developer side of the business and soft seating and malls has always been yeah. a little controversial. And yeah. I think developers certainly now have come around and said, Make it comfortable. We want people to come. We want people to dwell um, yeah. and not, you know, they're not going to over, overstay. Yeah, and I think it's um, um, it it really again depends on the the, the business, right? Yeah. Um, when we when I was doing the new concept for Verizon, we had um, they had this low seating, and people would come, and because I guess the process took so long. And there was this, you know, you would go in a store and there were these older people that were just sleeping on the benches. So it was not very attractive for the store, neither for, you know, you see a bunch of people sleeping. So then when we did a new concept, we needed to have seating. But then, and also, by the way, Verizon did an amazing job at reducing the amount of time it takes to actually do a, a transfer or get a new device. Uh, so it's not anymore two hours or whatever it was, it's much less. But what we did is we created actually high seating. 
So, you know, that's another way. So, so again, yeah. it's like looking at your challenges through the lens of design. I look at everything through the lens of design. If people are sleeping on a low chair, it's because it's too comfy. Give them stools. Now they can't sleep anymore because it's stools, right? right. You're, you're, and you're also more active because you're higher. And I think that um, that helped alleviate that issue. <laughs> and, and something nice about kids doing their homework there, and this kind of comes full circle to about what you said about retail is that they are kind of living, breathing spaces. I'm, I'm going to date myself, but, and my mom looked down upon this, but, you know, it used to be you would, where I grew up, you drop your kid off at the mall. When you were one age, it was like KB toys and let them run wild. And uh, when they got to another age, you could drop them off and they'd go to the arcade and they were live spaces and there was really nothing wrong with us spending time there. The True. arcade, of course, we were spending a little money, but you know. <laughs> True. So we've heard a lot about your design philosophies, but now we're going to learn about Cumbies the person. That's up next. Hi, I'm John Matson. I'm one of the hosts of Travel is Your Business. And if you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes within the travel industry, you have to check out this show. We cover everything from the aviation industry to hospitality, hotels and accommodations, even in-destination and touristic experiences. If you work within the travel industry, this is an important resource for you. You'll hear from not only executives and leaders within the industry, but also new innovations and technologies that are coming to market right now. And if you're not in the travel industry, you're going to gain insights that help you connect with a traveler and their experience to advance your career. So come along for the ride. You can listen and subscribe to Travel Is Your Business wherever the best podcasts are found. So as somebody who designs retail spaces, I'm curious, when you walk into a retail space, what are the biggest pet peeves you have that you immediately see that you're like, oh, why did they do that? There's got to be a few. Oh, there is a lot. <laughs> Sadly, I think when you when you study architecture and design, and uh, then it kind of ruins your life because then you... Everywhere you go, all you think about it, why did they do it like this? That sign is too small. That thing is too big. This is out of proportion. So you're constantly just constantly uh, analyzing things. So that that is a... I failed out of architecture school. I went a year (laughs) and it really did impact (laughs) my view of the world. So I can only imagine four or five years of architecture school. Yeah, yeah. I did five years and it's kind of like, uh, it really messes you up. But so, yeah, so I have an opinion, sadly, about everything, but... But I think that uh, the biggest thing, and I think the most important for retailers, uh, and I mentioned it before, but is lighting. I think not only retailers, but restaurants, hotels, you know, any space, lighting is so important. And often um, an afterthought, you know, is like, oh, they spend all this money designing the space and then just put some lights, whatever. But I think that is not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is is you really could turn a so-so space into a way better space just by doing some dramatic lighting or some accent lighting or some spotlights or some, you know, especially, especially, I mean, I think if you look at hospitality and restaurant and all those things is, is to create a mood, a certain atmosphere, right? Which is obviously very different from retail. And I think for retail, in order to sell those items, because at the end, I think a store is a, is a machine to sell, right? You need to properly light the products 
And I think that is so important. You look at the difference between a, a Whole Foods and a, and a regular supermarket, right? Part uh, of the reason why Whole Foods looks good is the lighting. It's very different. They don't have all those white fluorescents, right? How much do you hate fluorescent lights? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but, you know, what can you do? What do you do for fun outside of picking apart? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I I, uh, I have my coffee shop in L.A. still. Um, I, I did all of my schooling in, in L.A., so I have a lot of friends there. I lived a long time in in, in California. I love California. What's your it's favorite still... neighborhood in L.A.? I, I like – there's a lot of really good places, but I like the beach personally more. Venice? Or... Because, yeah, so I, I, uh, I used to live in the Marina del Rey okay. area, which is like right by Venice, and really hang out in Venice. My coffee shop is in Santa Monica. So I yeah, I, I kind of like being closer to the beach, but um, but yeah. So I I spend I still spend a lot of time in California, um, a lot of time, often for work because obviously, yeah, we all do right. Being either when you're in New York or LA, you always go back and forth a lot <laughs> somehow, right? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so I go back a lot for work because we're doing a lot of projects in 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 California. And also um, because I have a lot of friends and a lot of connections and, you know, all my friends from school and, and so on. It's nicer weather. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I love California. I think it's just like – and I love New York as well. But uh, Aside from the retail spaces you've designed and, of course, aside from Warby Parker <laughs> and Apple, who do you think you look at and you go, they, they did a great job? Is there a brand that sticks out? Yeah, I think that right now, um, and maybe I'm biased because I have a lot of friends at Nike and and I was at Nike, but I think Nike is doing an amazing job with the store designs. I think their later stores are are great, um, and I think uh, and I think Nike is a brand that is doing really well, not only at the store level, but you know you look at look at their app. Look at their product. Look at, you know, their advertising. Look at, you know, there's on. They're firing on so many cylinders. I think it's a, it's a pretty amazing company. Yeah, but there's a lot of. I still like a lot. I of course like Apple. I have a lot of friends who work at Apple too. Ironically, a lot of ex Nike people are at Apple. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> a small. It's a small world of. Uh, I think the Starbucks folks are still doing a great job. Um, again, I have a lot of friends there as well. Um, it's it's uh, we always get together regularly. Um, it's at the end of the day, it's a small t it's a small group of people because I think design is a small world, and then if you within that retail design is even a much smaller sort of circle, and then if you get to certain companies that are doing interesting things you bec it becomes you know very very tiny group of people and you know i've been in this business for about 20 years now so it's like you you end up knowing a lot of you know all the people that are circulating in different places and so yeah but again i would look at hospitality i would look at um you know i love some of the hotel new hotels happening i love some of the restaurants and the food business there's a lot of great stuff happening there i love what sweet green is doing i think with the um their their spaces i've had a sweet green salad every single day for the past two weeks because <laughs> they open one right next to my office they've definitely <laughs> sold me on the experience yeah sweet green is doing really well i think uh yeah so and again, I think it's good for all the businesses and all retailers and any business really to not just look at your direct competition but look at look at everything look at look at the what other people are doing 
because then you can really pick and choose. I think at the end, it's not about the industry, but about the relationship with the customer. Well, Cumbies, it's been a pleasure. As a wannabe sneakerhead, <laughs> a failed architecture student, a chocolate lover, uh, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. Do you have any final thoughts, things about retail specifically, about this conversation, anything that we might have missed? No, no. I, I, you know, I think uh, I've been participating in a lot of uh, events recently in the last couple of years. And uh, it's always fun to, to speak with people who are in the business. It's always fun to see what other people are doing. It's always fun to you know, exchange ideas. I just don't think there is one perfect and one, one good or one bad way to do things. And I think it's like a journey. And again, that ties in a way for me ties back to what I was saying at the beginning. I think um, the reason why I liked retail was that it was always changing. And I think today is even changing f way faster than, than when I started. When I started, it was more about doing a, a pretty space, a good looking thing, you know, designing. But now there are so many other components and then there is technology, there is the, the, the whole data and there's 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 so many other parts and pieces that come in play in retail um so it's kind of more complicated but i think it's it's also in a way much more interesting if someone wants to connect with you talk create a conversation how would they get in touch with you um I th you, they can use my email which is very easy it's hey at cambies.com i mean dot net so it's h-e-y at cambies k-a-m-b-i-z dot net and of course, I'm on LinkedIn, which is, um, you know, these days is probably the best way to to stay in touch with everybody. Digital I, business card. I love <laughs> it. I, I don't, you know, anytime I meet anybody, I just, because then whenever, because people are always moving. And then even if you have their contact info, you know, right. like their emails, they always change, right? It could change, be the next right? day. They're at another place. That's so many crazy. times I think of somebody <laughs> and then I look at them on LinkedIn. Oh, they're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. They're in whatever, in another company. And so LinkedIn, I think, uh, is a great way to stay in touch. So yeah, definitely LinkedIn or uh, via direct email. Well, thank you again for your time. Appreciate it. As always, Rebecca, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. This has been Grocery is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.